You're listening to Girls with Grafts, a burn community podcast created by Phoenix Society for Burn Survivors, a leading nonprofit dedicated to supporting the burn community. In this podcast, we'll talk with burn survivors, share resources to help with supporting and improving burn recovery, and discuss how to prevent burn injuries. Here are your hosts, burn survivors and Phoenix Society's marketing team, Amber Wilcox and Rachel Anderson. Hello, welcome back to Girls with Graphs. Today we are bringing you episode number three. I am Rachel Anderson and I'm here with my co-host Amber Wilcox. Hi everyone, so good to be back for our third episode. Really exciting and I'm super excited for our guests today. I cannot tell you, I've been telling everyone I know to watch in today, so uh, really, really happy to be here. Uh, And Rachel, you want to kick us off with our introduction so we can meet our special guests? Yes, yes, of course. I am also very, very excited for today's podcast. So let me give a quick introduction of them. Um, So we have two very special folks joining us today. Um, So Charlie and Xavier, oh my goodness, I'm just too excited. I can't even get the full name out to get started. Um, She was injured in a tragic work accident um, that left her severely burned with only a 3% chance of survival. And now over just a little over a year out, the young mother of two is joining us live from Charlottesville, Virginia, to speak about her personal experiences and finding the inner strength for the journey ahead. Um, She's still on her road to recovery, and life is definitely different now from before, but thankfully, the active mom still finds the time to spend with her two lively little boys between her rigorous schedule of daily wound care, therapies, and so much more. And then we also have her husband here with us, too, Andre Xavier. Um, He is a serial entrepreneur in the travel and tourist industry, as well as an author, But his newly found purpose is to share the knowledge um, he acquired on his journey becoming, you know, a member of the burn survivor community as well. Um, And when he's not active in the business setting, um, he enjoys spending time with his family and on his self-development. So another special reason why we have both of them on today is because Andre's book was recently published. Um, It's titled I Almost Lost Her. And it's the story of Charlie's ongoing healing and Andre's acceptance of his own vulnerability. You know, we just got done finished reading it, but you know, when you do, you'll follow the couple's journey through adversity, the highs and the lows, and everything in between. Ultimately, in the face of great suffering, Charlie and Andre learn to feel fear and pain and then release it so they remain focused on their new and beautiful life. In their highly anticipated debut book, Andre and Charlie remind us that strength, faith, and love are the cornerstones of enduring partnerships, no matter how bleak the circumstance, no matter how difficult the fight. So welcome, guys. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. We're glad to be here. I am so excited to get to talk to both of you today. I can't wait. Well, before we get started, though, I do also want to send a special thank you to our season one podcast sponsor, Pritzker Hagman. We want to thank them for making this podcast possible today. Well, uh, so let's get started. I know that I uh, know a little bit about Charlie's story, having just read the book. But Charlie, I'm going to open it up to you to tell our readers a little bit or or our listeners. I always say readers a little bit about your story. (laughs) 
Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, as Rachel said, it's just been a little over a year. My accident happened on September 10th, 2021. I was uh, working at our family's brewery that had not quite opened yet. And I was sanding a chalkboard table for the kids area. And uh, unfortunately, there were fumes from gasoline and oil nearby that, of course, no one can see. I slipped on them. The sander hit the concrete, sparked an explosion. And just like that, I was engulfed fully in flames. Um, I crawled out of the fire. I got my footing. I stood up. I walked slowly out of the pavilion where I was working and I rolled in the gravel and put out the fire. And then from there, I stood up and helped advocate for myself um, so that the rescue team could get me to safety. I remained conscious the entire time. Um, I quickly and miraculously made it to the Evan Haynes Burn Center at VCU in Richmond, Virginia. And there my journey began of healing. I was uh, in the hospital just nine days shy of six months before going to a rehab facility and in rehab just about two and a half months, came home, had a little month vacation with my boys. And then I went right back to the hospital to get some grafting done. Um, I figured, you know what? It's just, I can't progress in my therapy until I get some of these open wounds covered. I said, let's shave my head again. Let's get it done out of the way so I can be done for a while. And now I'm finally back home and I'm enjoying all the fun fall traditions that I missed out on last year. Mm -hmm. That's for telling that beautiful story. I know you're just a year out from your injury, which is just, you know, having to spend two years out myself, I can completely relate that telling our story is something new to us, right? So really appreciate that, Charlie, and want to thank you for sharing that. Uh, I'm going to turn it over to Rachel to, to yeah. ask a, a question from Andre now. Yes. Yeah. And thank you so much for sharing that. Um, so Andre, I'm kind of curious to hear, you know, your side now, what, what's, what was that day like taking us back to September 10th last year and even just the past year, what's it been like for you? Absolutely. So as Charlie mentioned, she was out of the brewery. She left early that day. I remember the morning very well. She left early and I didn't say goodbye to her. She just by the time I woke up and got the boys ready for breakfast, she was already gone. So started the day normal, fed breakfast to the boys, took my eldest to school. And then around 8.30 or so, I needed to go out to run some errands. I went to get my car keys and I noticed they're missing. So I remember that Charlie drove the car night before, gave her a call. Charlie, do you have my keys by any chance? Yes, I do. It's like, well... I shouldn't ask you to bring them to me right now because I need to go somewhere. She's like, please don't. I'll be home by lunchtime. Okay. About 45 minutes later, around 9 or 15 or so, phone rings with Charlie. I answered and she said, honey, I have been in an accident. I'm hurt. I was like, Charlie, I truly don't have time for silly jokes right now. What's going on? And at that time, my business partner picked up the phone and said, Andrea, it's really bad. Charlie's being burned. Get here right now. So frantically left, ran outside, looked to my driveway, see my car, but I don't have keys. Look right, see my neighbors have two cars, knock on their door. Graciously, they off, right? They allow me to, you know, borrow one of their cars, make my way to VCU. And when I got there, it was probably the most terrifying moments of my life. Truly the unknown. 
of the situation and it was a very, very, very scary day that I'll never forget that, you know, for a short period of time, I truly believed that my wife was gone. And that few seconds felt like an eternity and the pain and the suffering of that loss still with me to this day. Mm-hmm. But you Andre, know, that stuck with me in the book because I think um, one of the reasons I loved your book so much was because it gave me that perspective of what my husband might have been feeling, right, for my accident. And so often we hear the perspective of the survivor, right? But hearing it from the perspective, what you were saying about getting there and just being so unsure of what's happening. Um, as a survivor, we're just kind of going through the motions. And, and I don't know if Charlie, if you can relate to that, but I was just not thinking of my husband at that moment in time and how he might've been dealing with uh, that accident as well. Uh, so Andre, I'm sure that was a lot for you to, to go through um, as with Charlie, but I, I wanna talk a little bit about your journey here to kind of how we got to that book, right? How we got to right. so- that, and I wanna talk a little bit about cheering on Charlie because I know it started with cheering on Charlie and Charlie that is correct so I'm a fan of cheering on Charlie now as well so can you talk to us a little bit about that how that came to be absolutely so Charlie is for the accident even now she's been always very well loved by a lot of people she has a lot of friends and when the accident happened you know quickly neighbors knew friends started finding out and everybody wanted to know what was going on so I remember the time I was waiting in the hospital, I probably got it, over 100 text messages within two hours. And then that number kept growing. So by day three or four, you know, new Charlie was fighting for her life, but she you know, was getting out of that initial 72 hours. Um, friends started asking again for updates. And by that time, I probably had spoke with two or three family members and maybe some close friends. So a lot of people have not heard from me. And... Um, and one friend of ours, uh, he called and he had experienced loss in his own life as well. And he shared with me, he said, look, one thing that I did to update you know, our family and friends is I wrote uh, a little up- medical update, like a journal. And I shared with friends at the time it was email. I said, why don't you do the same? And I told him, I remember the conversation. I said, man, I don't know. I, I'm not good at writing. You know, I'm, I'm a foreigner. So I don't English is my third language and I just don't feel comfortable but, you know, thanks for sharing with me. Two days after that, I wrote my first uh, update and friends had created a private group at the time for Cheering on Charlie. And that was the first medical update. And quickly within say maybe a week or so, the same friends came back and said, hey, there's a lot of people asking to join the group. We just don't feel comfortable because we don't know them. There's a lot of you know, personal information about the kids and addresses. So how about we create a public group so they did so, and then the polls continued to go there. And then next thing we know, there's you know several thousands of people following and uh, just truly praying and expressing their support to us. And it's been an incredible journey to this point. So it's a very humbling uh, experience and also a very powerful one because to have that so so many so many people and so much support in real time is being incredible, powerful too. Meals dropped off, parties planned for the boys. I mean, there was an Amazon wish list and toys were being delivered and books. And 
it's really pretty incredible. And I truly, think our, our meal train went like eight, nine months or something. We yeah. actually just finished maybe about uh, four weeks ago. <laughs> wow, that's incredible. It's insane. Um, it was ridiculous. More than a year, actually. Um, and it, that, that was part of what truly the transformation for me was to experience in the early days the generosity of our friends, Charlie's friends, truly, you know, the mom's group, that kind of giving without anything in return, truly at the time of despair felt like a true warm hug. And I felt so supported and so loved that it changed my, you know, my heart and my mind in terms of what is giving and, you know, how generosity can help and affect people mm -hmm. that before I couldn't really understand. And there's a, there's a community of people now that, that listen, I think the other day when I was looking at your group, there were, have you been doing this for 365 days now? Is that correct? Yes, that yeah. is um, absolutely. That's how long it's been. And then just recently about before my trip to Brazil, I decided to stop the daily postings, mainly because truly, you know, there's no, there's no many updates to say for a daily. And it's content. time to focus on us and as a family. I really experienced that here versus on, you know, on paper. So it's been a, a good change. But at say. some point when I can find the time, I would like to start an official blog on the cheering for Charlie page where every once in a while I check in and I let people know what's going on on various different, you know, subjects. Uh, so there will be time for that later. Once, once we're, we're out of a honey, a second honeymoon stage where we're focusing on you know, reacclimating ourselves and healing yeah. and just making yeah. sure everyone is okay. Our kids are okay. Right. Mm -hmm. I genuinely appreciated just reading your stories on, on your, your Facebook page. And then being able to, to read your book was, was just really awesome. So I appreciate you journaling for the, the public to see Andre, cause it just was a really beautiful healing moment. Um, yeah, uh, Rachel, I'm going to let you chime in here yeah. and, and. Yeah. And I mean, in the book and on some of the posts too, you know, Andre, you talk about being an advocate for Charlie during her healing in the hospital. And can you just talk a little bit more about that and what that meant to you to advocate for her needs while she was in the hospital? Absolutely. So then now we're in the hospital, right? So we're truly, it's a new world to, to us. We don't understand what's going on. But I quick, quickly realized that there was a need for someone to really speak on behalf of Charlie because there was the well-known standard of care as we're all very familiar with, which is great baseline, but truly doesn't really apply to every individual. We all have individual needs as person, as a patient. And that was, I think, the first interaction I had with advocacy was to have an understanding that certain medications that Charlie was receiving was not really appropriate for her system. She didn't react well to them. And to learn how to ask for them not to give this medication and quickly realizing that I cannot just ask the nurse on that shift, right? There's different ways to do it. And then as we evolved, now we got fast forward. Yesterday was an interesting uh, topic we discussed about mental health during hospitalization. I had to really, really fight and spoke with several department heads within the hospital to really get the access to you know a psychologist 
And I was told by, you know, different doctors that at this point in the ICU in the burn unit, we're concerned about their survival. And my response was, well, if their mind is not willing to fight, there's no survival, right? So it's a very fine balance between physical health and mental health. And in my you know, humble opinion, they are very connected. And Charlie is living proof of that, that if you have a strong will to live and fight, mm-hmm. you will survive the unsurvivable. And here we are. And at one point he was told that how can she have therapy? She can't talk because I was on the ventilator. Right. So then I came across, I found online a lip reading service and presented to the hospital. And they said, oh, actually we have lip reading service, services on the language department. I was like, well, thanks for offering, right? So <laughs> those little things that you just, it's hard enough to be there with your loved one fighting for their lives. And not being able to communicate your needs the best way that you can imagine doing so. But again, I, I you know part of my advocacy I want to emphasize is that the doctors and nurses and everyone in the hospital every day, they are heroes. They really work hard and they mm-hmm. are they're saving lives, truly. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. the individuals, it's just how the system, the healthcare system is set up. It's very complex mm-hmm. and it's very complicated to navigate it. So mm-hmm. the knowledge comes into play. And I absolutely mm-hmm. don't blame them for not thinking about therapy services because I wasn't supposed to live. So, <laughs> but here I am. Yeah. And that journey, I think, I'm sure, Charlie, you can understand that the journey after, right, of, of being out of the hospital is is a lot of emotions, too. So I'm sure there's, you know, mental health is so important for everyone, but especially having just faced a tra- traumatic event. Yeah. It very true because you know um, I'm sure that both uh, you and Rachel, your burns you walked out of the burn unit. I'm assuming mm-hmm. it's not everybody that is confined to a wheelchair after having a traumatic burn injury, and that was extremely hard because you're already dealing with the loss of identity that this tragic event happened to you. You're dealing with a lot of trauma, a lot of PTSD, but then having to come home and come to terms with how very different your life is now. Mm. That is, that's a very hard thing that mm. you really have to have a lot of strength and willpower and to support to, and support to get through. Right. And that's mm-hmm. why I, I talk, I've been talking to Charlie since the hospital. So Charlie, this phase in the hospital is extremely difficult. You're literally fighting for your life, but it's in a more mm. passive way because you are in a, in a hospital setting. The rehab phase is harder in a different way from the hospital because now it's much more psychological, mental, the will to work through pain in an active manner. And then coming home is even more challenging because now you'll be facing the true reality of your disability and you will no longer have the institutional uh, support that you have at those facilities. And it is extremely hard and requires incredible mental strength. So it is true that it gets harder and harder, but you know, the learned lessons you learn throughout will help you to overcome. But you know, the support of family and support of peer groups Mm -hmm. like Phoenix offer is incredible value. So you talk a lot about vulnerability in your book, Andre, and um, I'm a big fan of Brene Brown myself. Um, I and I would assume you may be as well. Um, but what what really struck me about this particular book 
um, was how much you found yourself changing from who you were perhaps before the accident. And I don't even know if changing is the right word, but um, how you became more vulnerable. And I think maybe I'd like to say maybe cheering on Charlie did contribute to some of that, right? That being able to journal and talk to the community. But um, I want to I want to know a little bit about, especially having read the book, you know, how you came to terms with learning to be vulnerable, because I think there are and maybe this is a question for Charlie, too, because I know Charlie is sharing her story with with the greater community now. So um, let's talk a little bit about that. Right. So I don't know if you will believe me, but before the accident, I didn't even knew what vulnerability was. Truly did not. If you had asked me then, I would probably, if you told me, yeah, being vulnerable is sharing your emotions and not be afraid of the reactions, I would probably tell there was a weakness. Okay, now don't be weak, right? And it was incredibly humbling to me to have the opportunity to really write about my deepest fears, emotions, everything that I was going through, you know, the initial phase was very, very scary and dark to me. And to be able to share that, and then in return, with people writing back and saying, we're here with you, we're praying for you. Validation. Just, you felt so validated that your feelings matter and they're real, right? And what was amazing that I discovered throughout the process and took me maybe about three or four months to get to that point is I quickly then realized that being vulnerable allow me to find gratitude and vulnerability it is the highway to gratitude because when you're vulnerable you are expressing your deepest fears feelings or concerns without the fear of being judged of being looking down at and that gives you an incredible freedom and within that freedom you will be less worried about what other people think of you and you'll be able to notice the things that you have. And that's when gratitude comes into place. And it's not easy. It takes a lot of courage, right? To, to be grateful, to be vulnerable. And, but it is so empowering and freeing if you can do it. But in my situation, it's almost like I didn't have a choice truly uh, in terms of not being vulnerable because the moment I start writing those updates, I quickly saw how powerful the words were and the struggles and the fears. I also noticed that a lot of people had shared them at one point or the other. So it was not exclusive to me. A lot of people have challenges, difficulties and challenges throughout their lives. And I received a lot of empathy and support. So empathy was another thing that I learned in this process. To be honest, it was very hard for me before to have empathy because as an entrepreneur, I credit everything to myself, my own efforts, right? So I am building those businesses. I am good because of my own skill set. And to be in a position of completely, to have no power, of over anything on my life at that point. I couldn't do anything to help my wife. I had to depend on the doctors. I had to depend on God's mercy truly to save her life. It was incredibly hard, humbling. And once I accepted that reality, the fact that I was powerless, then I started to become vulnerable. So I think there's an acceptance factor as well which is extremely hard to mm -hmm. set because um, 
the initial natural reaction is to question why, right? Why did this happen? What is the purpose? And it's not fair. But if we go down the rabbit hole, it's just not positive. It's not good to us. So, you know, we are people of faith. We believe in God. And faith was huge to me to be able to rationalize what truly I couldn't understand and just to have hope that something good would come out of and she would survive. So faith is incredibly important. And I talk about faith as, you know, it's a relationship with God, mm -hmm. no matter which God you follow, you know, it doesn't matter the religion you are, but if you can have a relationship beforehand, before anything bad happens, you're much more inclined to believe that that upper power that God can truly help you. Because if you don't, your humanly speaking is extremely difficult to deal with tragedy very difficult to rationalize so that supernatural aspect it was very powerful to to me as well and i know to charlie as well she relied on her faith as well during mm -hmm. that time so yes and then cheering charlie definitely has a huge impact on the change that i experienced as a person um to, to learn to be empathetic learn to be grateful to learn to be vulnerable and to see that you know it's okay to be sad it's okay to feel depressed but it's not okay to not look back and be grateful and feel you know look around you you have a lot to be grateful no matter what circumstances you are mm -hmm. yeah it's um, i mean amazing to hear your journey just in a year um you know from i mean Charlie, just you in general, just all the recovery process and progress you've made in a year is outstanding. And to hear, you know, that you guys can look back and find these grateful moments to look at is so important. Um, you know, and we have a lot of families and loved ones and survivors, obviously, in our community. So aside from, you know, journaling or sharing posts online, Andre, and your faith, was there anything that, you know, how did you care for yourself? What tips do you have for, you know, the loved one and the spouse? How do you care for yourself in those hard times? To be honest, um, I probably not the best example. Of <laughs> I didn't. I lost almost four pounds during this journey. I think that he did more of like punishing himself. I, did, I had a lot of guilt. Yeah. There um, was a lot of guilt. Yeah. And I think that he felt that he needed to be by my side at every waking moment. He probably had this feeling of if only I could trade places with her. And I am not sure if that is a faith thing. <laughs> he was born and raised Catholic um, or if that's just how he felt as a devoted husband, but rather than self care, he got obsessive in advocating for me and making sure I had the best care. And I feel like it was maybe because you were doing what you would think that I would want mm -hmm. and what you would want if it were you in my place. Right. I think that is absolutely true. Um, so I th And he knows I'm a perfectionist and mm -hmm. he knew the expectations were high. Right. <laughs> Rachel, no, that is very true. That is very true. <laughs> But I think to answer to your question, Rachel, is I think it's incredibly important to the family members to take care of 
yourself like ourselves i remember daily the hospital the psychology hospital would tell me every single day how are you are you sleeping enough are you eating enough are you drinking enough uh water um because you just if you're not physically mentally strong how can you be helpful and someone told me this analogy that i loved is if my own cup is not full how can mm-hmm. i go to somebody else right and it's easier said than done it's <laughs> done, but it's extremely true, right? So you mm-hmm. cannot be there for someone if you're not. But yourself. I'm also going to say that even before the accident, he was not very good at these kinds of things. He is like a workaholic and never stops. And his hobbies include work. So <laughs> you know, everyone else would have the same problem in self-care. I think- I think that was one of my favorite moments in the book. Actually, I was going to actually bring that up as a question next, but um, I loved how hard in the book you advocated to for Charlie. But in sometimes I feel like maybe you think from what you said, it was almost to a fault. Right. And Charlie in some instances would have to say like, <laughs> it's okay, Andre. Right. Like, like, um, like, do you want to share? <laughs> say that again. <laughs> I, I, I said in certain areas, I was like, back down. Oh, absolutely. Like yes. we are no better than anyone else and the rules still do apply to us. Yeah. And yes, it sucks. I can't see my boys, but no, you're not calling the governor. No, you're not. Doing <laughs> no, you're not doing that. Calm down, sit down. Yeah. <laughs> and, you, and you did, I was going to use the word sit down, but you, you did very well. And, and it had me chuckling. Those are my moments of laughter because I can see my husband saying that to me in those instances of like, sit down, it's fine. But um, I think when you're such a strong fighter like that, right? Both of you, I think are, are fighters in this instance, but um, yeah. Andre is equal amounts of a fighter, I think, in terms of how he advocated for you, right? And I know there were often times where you got really frustrated, Andre. Do you want to share a, a little bit about, you know, how towards the end, I saw you kind of morph into this like you were talking yourself off of that ledge, I think even before Charlie did in some instances. Do you want to wow. share how you changed through that? Yeah. So what, again, perfect example uh, was the whole power of attorney incident, right? So when I truly, they violated our legal rights, right? Um, and the prior me would be so sure that what you did is illegal and there's no way you can do that and you'll be truly fighting and that moment that was when i truly i think that was a turning point to me of acceptance that i was powerless i was at their mercy and yet being powerless and choosing not to necessarily fight at that particular instance with the people was not a a, a, a move of a weak person not at all it was a move of someone who now is much more tempered, is much more wise in a way. So seek counsel, then my next day after I cooled off. And my own attorney said to me, you will attract more peace with honey than with vinegar. And mm-hmm. he struck me and said, yeah, you can sue then, don't talk about lawsuits. Be Try to be reasonable. People can find you know, a way to work together and come in that it required some persistence right require different again is the system is how it works and how to navigate that but the part of the biggest lesson was just the acceptancy of being 
not in charge, the acceptance of not having the power to make all the decisions. Because before I truly never accepted no, no didn't exist to me. I was always able to find you know, a way around and this time I just didn't have a way to. So again, part of the humbling experience. So I think there's a lot of times during this journey, I was humbled. And I think that is, you know, part of the change that I have received is just to truly accept and acknowledge that, you know, in life, we don't have full control of things that happens to us. But the only control we have is how we react to them. And mm-hmm. the- loss of control is hard, I think, especially not just as an advocate or a spouse, right, Charlie, but um, as a survivor, right? Not feeling like you always have control over what's going on every day. I'm sure that's tough. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, it's pretty awful, you know, coming from the mom I was before and then having to return home and watch other people take care of your children and your husband fumble in the kitchen because he doesn't know where anything is and you can't reach it. It's really, it's a struggle and I'm sorry, but I, my life before I, I'm very methodical. I am a perfectionist. I'm very organized, prepared for everything. Like it drives me nuts still to this day that I don't know where anything is in my house. Right. But <laughs> and it's hard. It is hard. And But one thing I told Charlie and she knows that, that the word perfectionism. It's a hard it's, thing to be. It, it is a mess. Especially right? in it's the a cover, It is a cover right. up, right? So perfectionism doesn't exist because nothing's perfect and she knows that because it's truly it's a it's a armor it's a shield that you have to you know try not to be judged and to be looked upon right to, to be uh, judged by well it's not, not just so good. It's, it's, it's it's more complex than that that's a simple self-acceptance yeah, as exactly. well so mm-hmm. what i told her is like perfectionists bring t- to frustration right because you're never going to achieve perfection so then i said try to you know, just find excellency that's achievable. So that's, you know, I think part of this journey, we have learned together, you know, how to be better to ourselves and try not to build all this anxiety and expectations of over things that we can control. And we learned that the hard way on so many instances and throughout this journey. Being a burn survivor, you just, there's so much patience that you have to learn to have mm. and so much grace because there are so many things that you don't have control over. Mm. And the healing journey is so long mm. and you just want to get on with your life, but then you just have to remember constantly, well, this is now part of my life. Mm. And that's, mm. that's the hard part is like self-acceptance yeah. and accepting this new normal Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. And I mean, the whole survivor journey, you know, it's not a straight line. It's a roller coaster, ups and downs. And sometimes you take a step back, you get 10 steps forward, you go a few steps back again. It's always changing and evolving. So how did, you know, Charlie, for you when you were in the hospital, how did you overcome, you know, some of those really negative days? What kept you fighting? And what advice maybe would you give to other survivors who are still in the hospital and recovering and just want to go home? What would you tell them? Well, you know, I just had to keep in the forefront everything I had looked to look forward to at home. And for me, the most important thing were my boys. Um, 
I have been wanting to be a mother for as long as I could remember. And mm -hmm. it wasn't an easy journey for us to get there. And when the accident happened, I had an almost nine month old and a four-year-old and they needed me. They're young. They're not self-sufficient. And so I kept thinking, you know, this is what I have to look forward to. And I was determined that I needed to heal as fast as I could so that I could return home to them and experience all of life long memories with them. And some days that was really hard when I would get news that wasn't the best. And sometimes I would get into a negative space and sometimes looking at their photos wouldn't help. It would make the situation so much worse. Hmm. And talking to a friend wouldn't help either because I had all this anxiety leading up to, well, are they going to ask me questions about my surgeries or when I'm getting off the ventilator or, you know what I mean? Like some things didn't help. So in the early days, truly prayer, meditation, and sometimes I just needed to watch just TV. I needed to just get, I guess, um, enthralled with a show and just imagine that my life currently is just on hold while I'm watching the show and that I can come back to these feelings in a little bit. And mm. then when I came back to them. I would try to think, okay, today is not a hard, today is not an easy mm. day, hard day. Mm. Let's get it out of the way. Mm. Let's just, let's pile it on. What do we have to face? Mm. And what do we need to do to make sure that we talk about it, we think it through, and we get it out of our system so that tomorrow can be a better day? Mm -hmm. Because it's not possible for you to all always have good days. And there are mm -hmm. going to be bad days. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the support from your loved ones was really, really helpful. Mm -hmm. I was on all the precautions. So no one really was coming in my room unless I absolutely needed anything, any, like anything at all. And so I was by myself for a majority of the day, unless I was in wound care and unless he was there. Mm -hmm. So being in a room on a lot of medication, mm -hmm. I never went into a coma. So I was fully awake the whole time, but I was heavily sedated and I was there by myself in a bed staring mm. at curtains and a ceiling all hours of the day for months on end mm. it is horrific. And you need somebody there to offer you support mm. just to have them there present with you to just have them talk about whatever crappy thing happened in their day to get your mind off of all the pain you're feeling is actually mm. helpful to watch a little trashy TV, to listen to a book. <laughs> I mean, you really just have to do anything and everything just to mm. get your mind off. And then when I moved to rehab, you know, I still wasn't with my boys and I was focused and determined to get better and stronger. But part of my rehab was recreational therapy and we played games and we did puzzles. And now puzzles have become a big part of something I say. <laughs> and I was talking to my therapist, you know, the other day about it. Um, my psychologist, it's not only like OT for me, mm. it's therapeutic because if I have something that's bouncing around in my head that is like causing me anxiety, 
Mm. Working on a puzzle forces me. It's like it frames mm. me kind of. And it forces me to sort of piece together how I'm going to get through this challenge. And it's like, I'm quiet, I'm focused, I'm in my own head. And it's like a different way of meditating for me. Mm. It's like that mindful coloring. My husband and I actually just started a puzzle too. Yeah. And I find it very, like, you're just not thinking about all of the things that are in your head. You're just focusing on, okay, where's that piece to that dog's nose, right? And I'm always like <laughs> looking for small pieces. So I must, I, you know, it is, it is very, I've found that as a, a like painting, painting by number, painting. by number. I just Anything got keeps your mind busy. a book. Um, it's a sticker by number. And he learns oh. numbers and he has to focus on getting the sticker and the lines. So anything like that, I mean, it's like being mindful of like where you're at and framing everything. Mm. And it's like, you're able to like work through problems as they come, but like mm. anything I can do, any, any one that I can help with telling my story to just keep fighting, figure out what is that one thing that you want to fight for and keep that in your forefront because you have to keep fighting. You can't give up. Mm. Right. And I would say so, oh. keep in keep mind is not as a survivor, it's impossible. Don't always think that that's the, whatever situation you are, that is a definite thing. Mm. Things evolve and change. I mean, looking back now, where you are now to six months ago, six months ago, would not even dream to be where we are today. So 20 know, days ago, exactly. <laughs> 20 days ago, I wasn't walking. <laughs> right. So it's, it's important to, Keep that in Baby mind. steps. But right. the unknown yeah. is very scary and it's a very valid feeling. Mm. Unknown is scary for anyone, no matter your situation. Mm. So Charlie, there's two questions I have from what you what you just said. Um, the first, um, I know you did mention that you did sometimes get visitors and it looks like someone is here on our stream um, that sent a message. So I wanted to pop that up for everyone. Uh, mm. It looks like our friend Kirk <laughs> McClure, who is a Phoenix Kirk. Society SOAR volunteer, um, says that he worked with you in the burn unit, um, as a SOAR volunteer. Do you want to talk a little bit about your, your experience with Kirk? Um, I'd love to hear a little bit about that and, and how you found healing from, from Kirk. Absolutely. Well, Kirk was really just, Hey buddy. <laughs> <laughs> Kirk was really just, um, ready to beat down the doors. They wouldn't let him in for the longest time because I was on all of those <laughs> isolation measures. So sometimes he would be at the doorway with it cracked and be like, I'm going to get in there one day and I'm going to talk <laughs> to you. And then finally, when I was able to talk with him, it was, it was really, it was very powerful. He was the first burn survivor that I spoke to. And, um, I think he would probably agree when, when I say I'm an extremely compassionate person because um, all I could think about when he told me his story was, was how he felt in that moment and in the moments that he challenged even before becoming a, you know, a sore um, volunteer. Um, it was a very impactful thing to hear. Um mm. And from that moment, I feel like we became fast friends because <laughs> he would sometimes come in and I, I feel like we didn't always have to talk all the work stuff. We could just, you know, shoot the shit and just have fun. <laughs> and sometimes he would say, well, I came here to build you up and you built me up in the process. <laughs> I felt like we fed off each other, but I think it's just because mm. we have very similar 
personalities. We're people, people, and um, we live to help people. And, you know, he, he's definitely been trying to recruit me for a long time. And I think <laughs> I just was like, you don't have to keep trying to recruit me. I'm <laughs> when I'm ready. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, I do know, like as a survivor myself, by what we call them burn buddies, right? I have uh, my burn buddies and they're some of the, the most mm -hmm. beautiful and, and greatest people I've ever met. So I, I did want to pop Kirk on there because I'm sure you guys are, are very close burn buddies. Um, I will say, Charlie, the, the other thing I heard you say was about self-care, right? So um, self-care, I know, is super important, right? And you mentioned watching Netflix. I'm a big fan. I've just been watching TV on my couch. But um, I also heard you say something before we started the stream about how you choose, right, after a, an interview or, or some kind of event that you're like, oh, Okay, I finished it. What is your type of self-care? I have a lot of uh, little techniques for self-care, but usually I have a sweet tooth and um, <laughs> I used to bake a lot and I was known to all my friends as like the magical baker and I love to bake, but I didn't want to eat them all. So I gave a lot <laughs> of sweets away. I'm not baking as much anymore, but I still have a sweet tooth. So sometimes I just need like ice cream or cookies or a milkshake. Mm -hmm. And, you know, cause it's really, it's a, it's a hard thing to talk about. It's been great mm -hmm. talking with you gals and it's definitely a different setting than, you know, doing a news interview. Mm -hmm. um, but every time you have to talk about your story, you go to a certain place. Mm -hmm. And I mean, it's, it's fair. It's only fair to other people that you go there because mm -hmm. if you really truly want to help and impact people. You need, you need to go to that vulnerable place and speak from the heart. Cause that's, what's going to be helpful to them to hear, but it's not always easy for you to tell it. I'm sure it gets easier with time, but I'm still, I'm here. I'm only a year out and I sometimes need a milkshake after. Um, <laughs> I also do a lot of shopping therapy. I love to shop. <laughs> Those are some of my, it sounds like we could be, you know, best friends, Charlie, and because it, I, shopping I and eating ice cream. I know. Sometimes <laughs> I just need my girlfriends to just pick me up and let's go to Home Goods and Target oh. and let's just, I don't know, let me plan a play Clear date. Clear shopping. There you yeah. go. <laughs> <laughs> that that is that sounds like my idea of a good time charlie so we'd get along just fine <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome and i know so you did mention you're and we talked about it you're just a little bit over a year out did you do anything special um for your anniversary this in last month i guess you're just a little bit a month yes, ago. yes i did it was i think very impactful uh, I thought long and hard about what I wanted to do. Andre was very, um, he was very diligent in making sure that he was throwing ideas out there. And I felt bad at first because everything he throw, threw at me, I was like, no, no, <laughs> no. But I just really wanted to make sure that I was making the right choice for me. And um, I just was cruising through Facebook events, um, looking for fun family activities. And I came across the Orange County Street Festival. Um, Orange County is the county where the accident happened mm -hmm. um, in Virginia. And they have a street festival every year. And it's it's actually a very well-attended festival. There, I think last year there were about four to 5,000 people. And they were expecting even more this year because you know COVID was still affecting the attendance. And our brewer was already going to be there. And you know all of the fire mm -hmm. and rescue team were going to be there. 
So I just thought, okay, this would be a wonderful opportunity for, first of all, our family to get together with some friends to um, enjoy the festival. But I had not met my rescue team yet. And a lot of them were going to be there. So I wanted to have that opportunity. And so we teamed up with the Chamber of Commerce and they actually allowed for me to say a few words. And I decided that it was the perfect day to publicly sort of talk about my accident, what happened, and to publicly recognize and thank each and every person that came to my aid that day. And I did. And um, there were um, live uh, radio stations there. So everyone in attendance heard, even though they couldn't see me. And afterwards, they were all standing behind me and I got to meet them and talk with them. Um, there were a few people that were on the um, helicopter uh, medvac team that weren't there, but I did meet one person that was part of that team. And that was a very, very emotional meeting for me. Um, so that's what I decided to do. We also sent lunch and dinner to um, the burn center and also the rehab facility to thank them for all that they did. And of course, we didn't send it to the firehouse because they were not right. there, the um, <laughs> but we did later that week. So that's what I, I wanted to find a way to give back. Mm. And that's what I chose to do. That's absolutely amazing. I know burn anniversaries are special days uh, for burn survivors. So, you know, whether you're thanking your, your, you know, care team or, you know, spending the day, for, with some self-care. I think that's really important. I know survivors all like to celebrate it differently. So I always like to ask and say like, how did you choose to celebrate it? And it's not the same every year, you know, for me. Yeah. Uh, for me, some years, I just want to be holed up in my room, right? With the door closed and just want to cry it out. And then there are days where um, maybe you want to get together with a group of girlfriends and, and go shopping. So I think <laughs> it's interesting to see how that evolves over time. But I really, the, the first anniversary is very special, I know. Uh, so thanks for sharing that with us. Uh, I have one more question for, for you, and then I think uh, we'll get ready to wrap it up. But um, I know you do have two beautiful children at home, which I'm sure adds another layer of complexity to your journey, right? Um, you're taking care of your children, which I'm sure um, they've also been on this journey with you. Um, and we have a lot of survivors out there that I know have children, right? And so um, I'd love to know just a couple of pieces. It can be one piece or a couple of advice that you have for those out there that do have children um, that have, you know, know that I'm sure you've, you've been through an accident. Um, but what advice do you have? And it can be for both of you, Charlie or, or Andre, um, for someone that's going through an accident and, and maybe wants to educate their children or to, you know, speak with them. Yeah, well, I have always had a very open line of communication with my oldest. He's now five. Um, I think that it is tremendously helpful to be able to explain in as much detail to your children um, anything in life. And I feel that there's no better way of learning than that. So I have always really just handled him with a lot of care um, when it comes to that but also gave him all the information because he is very bright and insightful. Um, but at the same time, he's a very loving, gentle child and needs a lot of love and compassion. 
Um, so from the get go, he just was such a reasonable little fellow about it. You know, when I told him I had to go back to the hospital, he was like, okay, mommy, but you know, but when you come home, you'll be better and you can play with me better and more. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Well then you can go, you can go, it'll be fine. You know? And he was just, he was so sweet about it. Um, but, you know, any of anyone who's gone through this, you have to keep in mind, the family has gone through it with you. Mm. And so, and you're also still going through a hard time. So mm. things are more stressful and, you know, people can be on edge more. And so I think you have to be just even more thoughtful of how you respond to your children. And I think that, if anyone needs more love and compassion, it's the children during this time because of the things that they've been through. Um, you know, and, and honestly, mental health, it comes into play. I know in this time following COVID and mm. kids being in school it's extremely hard to find somebody to provide mm. good mental health for your children. But in my situation, you know, being that I left the house one morning before they woke up and then didn't return for eight and a half months. Um, you know, mm. I, I need therapy for my child, you know, he's, he's not okay. Mm. You know, um, he's scared to death of me to use a power tool. Mm. Um, because that's he in his mind, he frames it as, well, if mom wasn't using a power tool, then this wouldn't have happened. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, you just have to be really gentle and patient and just try to take breathers because they need mm -hmm. they need time. Think about what you need mm -hmm. and think about the fact that, you know, their emotional intelligence is not up to where you are and you're having a hard time with mm. it imagine them mm. so just be so much more patient so much more kind and be as compassionate as you can find it in you to be and i would add mm. to, i think create during the the initial part the key phase is you know support is important in terms of stability maintain regular schedules as much as possible to the children. If they go to school, continue bringing them to school. If they have play dates, as much as possible. That is very not true. Easy, but it does kind of bring a sense of normalcy to keep the same routine. Uh, and as Charlie said, you know, just believe on their feelings and just, you know, allow them to express their feelings because it's not easy. It's hard for sure. And I'd say something that I think a lot of people don't think about Um there, there is always going to be a sense of abandonment, even though mm -hmm. um, it was an accident that I couldn't help. Um, and then with our situation, Andre being by my side to advocate for me, you know, for That's a five-year-old, awesome. he was abandoned. Even though he was taken care of, every need was met. He had his grandmother here, my friends helping, meals provided, school. In a way, the two people that he was closest with Mm -hmm. on most of the time and he felt abandoned and that's a hard thing to grasp mm -hmm. parent that the last thing you would want and that's mm -hmm. what happened well thank you so bravely for sharing your story with us today i 
can't thank you enough for being vulnerable again with us today. And um, speaking of that, I did just want to say a couple words to Andre. Andre, I started your reading reading your book um, on the way back on a trip home from North Carolina. And my husband will tell you I'm not a reader. I don't I don't usually pick up a book, um, but I picked up your book that day. And my husband and I were having a conversation with friends, and I recommended your book to someone earlier this week. And he said, she's not a reader, but she opened that book on that ride and she would not put it down until she was finished. Um, so the entire ride, I read your book and I ended it in absolute tears um, because it was such a beautiful uh, kind of journey that you went on, but also something that resonated with me very closely because I also have a spouse that went through that burn injury. Um, so I wanted to, first of all, thank you for doing that, but also know that, you know, it changed changed my perspective. And so I highly recommend survivors and their loved ones um, out there that kind of want to see that perspective. I found it very touching and it opened up additional conversations for my husband and I. So I, I want to thank you for that, Andre. Thank but um, <laughs> before we go today, um, do you want to share anything else about your book with us that, uh, you know, or the community just yeah. so that we can learn Absolutely. a little bit more? Yeah. So I, I believe, you know, the book came, of course, the journals was the man, original base for the manuscript. But I'll encourage anyone who read the entire journals to still read the book because in a book format it's a different style of writing it is a story right it's a memoir but we have so much more detail things that i truly could not talk in in the open forum at the time when charles still hospitalized that will give you much more insight on the history and you know have a better understanding what truly the journey is like and it um, talks a lot about the medical side of things in detail right. as well. And it is a great resource, I'd say, for you know family members who are dealing with not only burns, but any illness, um, because it will give a little bit of an insight of what the challenges that you might be facing ahead. So you can kind of relate to that. And you know, eventually the book will become a tool for us to spread, you know, message of hope, message of love and faith. And it's the beginning of giving back. You know, we want to be able to start giving back to the burn community that we received so much, but to also so many other causes and people that we've been very blessed to receive support. Awesome. Thank you so much. Yes, I read the book as well. I highly, highly recommend it. Um, it is available on Amazon. So, and check it out. Um, so before we wrap up, one last question. What's next for the both of you? I know it's fall. Charlie, you're at home. I'm sure you're looking forward to the holidays at home this year. What, oh, yeah. What's what's coming up for you guys? <laughs> well, um, yeah, I'm just looking forward to uh, really just living out a lot of the fun family memories. You know, last year, my boys, they, they turned my first... My first turned five, um, and then two days later, my little baby turned one, and I was not there. And then a few days later, it was Christmas, and I was not there. Um, pretty much missed every holiday and birthday last year. Um, so I'm really like looking forward to live out those experiences this year. And part of something that our family has always done every year is at Christmas time, we find a way to give back to the community. Mm. And, you know, normally we would adopt a family and we would, you know, fulfill a Christmas list of somebody who's currently in a shelter. Um, but, you know, now it's like if we can get into the burn community and help do that, I mean, that that would mean so much to us. And I know mm. you two ladies can probably help us with that. 
Um, yeah. So yeah, I love Christmas. I love decorating. I love hosting people, mm. um, crafts, baking. So yeah, celebrations That's what I and parties. It sounds like are in your future. Right? I'm, I'm much <laughs> on a smaller scale because I missed out on so much. So like right. my goals are like. Mm. I want my family and I want to keep them tight. I, I agree. I think <laughs> yeah. this year's, you know, Thanksgiving, Halloween, Christmas mm. would be extra special because truly we miss that with Charlie. I had just brought a baby home and mm. felt like death the Christmas before the accident. <laughs> it will be a very special time to celebrate. This is like my first yeah. Christmas. <laughs> but I think besides the gifts and the food, I think will be a, truly a moment of Thanksgiving in the sense that we are here. We have you here at home and you're just mm. so grateful for that. So I think it would be truly a time to actually celebrate you and celebrate you being with us. So it's a mm. time of gratitude for sure. Well, this was a beautiful conversation. I want to thank you both so, so much. Um, Andre's book and information will be in all of our show notes. Uh, and I, once again, we just want to take a moment to thank our sponsor, Pritzker Hageman, for their season one sponsorship. The Pritzker Hageman Burn Injury Legal Team helps burn survivors and their loved ones pursue compensation and justice throughout the United States. If you have any legal questions, the attorneys at Pritzker Hageman are ready to find, are ready to help find out more at legaljourney.guide. Andre, Charlie, I can't thank you enough for spending time with us this afternoon. Uh, we hope to hear more from you in the coming, coming months. And I wish you both a very, very happy holiday season. Thank you so thank much. You Bye. Thank you. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of Girls with Crafts. If you are enjoying this content, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. This helps others find the show, and we greatly appreciate it. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you in the next episode.